0: Most of you know me, not everyone knows my wife, Emily, we're going to teach together today, Um, so I'm excited. Okay, Um, so this is a message that God actually uh, gave us a few weeks back and it's kind of interesting that last week's message was the start. So literally, the Holy Spirit confirmed. This is um, what we're gonna be sharing about today. It's it's his heart. Pastor Dwayne, my dad started it last week. We're gonna touch a little bit on the topic from last week and then launch forward. Um, So we were really excited when we got invited to speak. And uh, go ahead and keep going. Okay.
1: Well, I'd like to start tonight by, by telling you a bit of a personal story. About a year and a half ago, One of my lifelong best friends, someone I've known since first grade, we've been friends since first grade, about a year and a half ago, um, she lost a two-year battle with ALS. It was a pretty awful thing to watch. In the span of those two years, a vibrant, beautiful, loving wife and mother slowly became pretty much entombed in her own body, mummified. If if you're familiar with ALS, you know it affects motor neurons. So first, she lost her ability to walk. And then she lost her ability to do anything with her hands, really. They started curving inward. She eventually lost her ability to loop, move any muscle in her body, including her tongue. So her speech went away. And at the end, everything in her body was frozen. She was laying there like a mummified corpse with a fully functioning brain. It's pretty incredible to watch someone you love go through something like that. And I think anyone here who has ever watched a loved one suffer like that, whether it be from some kind of health condition or substance abuse or whatever it might be, knows that gut-wrenching, awful feeling of helplessness, right? It's a pretty awful thing to watch a loved one go through. In fact, it's only been recently that I could speak about it very openly. So a few weeks ago, I was sharing about my good friend's life, her, and ultimate death, um, with a Christian woman, a mature Christian woman, who I love and respect. And I got done with this really tragic story And she gave me a response that was shocking to me, but is actually a pretty common Christian response. She said to me, "Well, it's it's hard to know why God chose that path for her. It's hard to know why God chose that path for her. And you guys, I'm usually pretty stoic. But every cell in my body was screaming, my God, my God didn't choose that path for her. What are you talking about? But these types of responses are actually kind of common, aren't they, in the church? We might say, well, God works in mysterious ways. Right? Have you heard that one? But John 10.10 tells us that the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, and I have never seen anything do that as thoroughly as ALS. That's the work of the devil. So I want to impress upon you tonight that God did not will for my friend to suffer and die at an early age, and God did not will for your friend to die of cancer. And he doesn't will for little girls to be trafficked all over the world. That's not God's will. He doesn't will for house fires, robberies, car accidents, or any other tragedy that could possibly take place in this world. Could you turn to your neighbor and tell him, it's not God's fault? It's not God's fault. Right? But God's will is not always done. Why is it so hard for us to say that? Why is that so difficult? You know, in my work, I get to do something called quality improvement. Any other QI nerds in the house? No, just me? Okay. So a big part of quality improvement is doing root cause analysis. And so I'm wondering, why is it so hard for us to say that God's will isn't always done? And I think the first reason is that maybe some of us grew up in churches where that's what we were taught. Maybe we were taught that. The second reason is saying that God's will is not always done uh, sounds a little disrespectful to the all-powerful creator of the universe, right? And I think the third reason that it's so hard for us to make that statement is that acknowledging that God's will isn't always done also means acknowledging that possibly we might have some responsibility in that. And that's hard. But the truth of the matter is John 10.10. It is the devil who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But it was Jesus who came to give us life that we could have it more abundantly. Attributing the work The enemy to our precious, glorious Heavenly Father is nothing short of blasphemy. And I think it's time we face a hard truth. We really look it square in the eye and come to terms with the fact that God's will is not always done on earth.
0: Yeah, so to hit that, let's go to a couple of scriptures. Matthew. 23, verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her? How often I wanted to gather you, your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. It's interesting that that God is describing, these are my desires, but it didn't happen because... You wouldn't work with me on it. You were unwilling. Another verse that really, I really like this one. Luke chapter seven, verse 30 says, but the Pharisees and the lawyers. Now, if, if the Bible was a Marvel movie, then Jesus and the disciples were the heroes. They were like the, the, eight, the oh, I'm gonna say 18, but I'm, Justice League? No, the Justice League, League, the, the Avengers. They would be the good guys. Then on the other side, you had the Pharisees, right? They're like the bad guys. And I always had them very squarely in the villain category in my mind. But look at Luke chapter seven, verse 30. It says, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purposes for them, not having been baptized by John. Even the Pharisees... God had a better plan for them. We look back at what they chose and we say the Pharisees, they're the bad guys, the White Walks, uh, sepulchers. And, and like I said, in my mind, you know, it's, that's the bad team, Darth Vader's team. That's the dark side. And then I realize, you know, God did not desire them To stay there, he had a better plan, but they rejected it. First Timothy 2, verse 3 through 4 says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Very few scriptures, I think, illustrate it in a more easy-to-grasp way. Than to understand if God desires all people to come to the saving knowledge of him, to repent of their sins, how many of you realize not everyone will be saved? But we see it clear that that is God's wish. Then we have to acknowledge that it isn't all with God's will doesn't automatically take place simply because he willed it. He gave Adam and Eve free will in the garden. Why would he give them free will in the garden? Acts chapter 17, 27. I didn't remember to give that one to them up front, so we won't have it up there, but it is it is a section there where Paul describes to everyone who God is, what God has done. He says, God created the world. And then in verse 27, it says, and he did this so that they, speaking of creation, would seek him. See, the whole point of creation was that we would seek him. He made us because he desired authentic relationship with us. And I've, I've used this example so many times, but if someone came and put a gun to Emily's head and then she says, and that, that person says, tell Josh that you love him, it doesn't really mean much at all. But when she chooses despite the annoying things that I've done and despite my imperfections, when she says, I love you, of her own free will, wow, it warms my heart every time. God desires authentic relationship with us. Therefore, it was a necessity that he give us free will. And when we look at scripture, we see Genesis 121 describes that God created the world, that he put the creatures and every living thing in which the water teems and moves about and according to their kinds and every winged bird and then it says, and God saw that it was good. So see, God made the world in a perfect state. He gave us free will and we, being mankind, began by exercising that free will in relationship with him. It says he walked with Adam and Eve every day in the cool of the day. Then Adam and Eve chose poorly. Then we have the rest of scripture as it goes along, including our time now. But when we go to the end in Revelation chapter 21, 22, we get another description of what is going to happen when God restores all things and he brings the city of Jerusalem, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, down to earth. And I like what it says in verse Uh, 26 it says the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the lamb book of life realize he desired that relationship with us free will was a necessity to authenticate for the relationship to be genuine but he created the world in perfection there is a period where free will and the enemy has sway. We're not gonna get all into the whole transference of dominion and coming back, but we've, we've covered that stuff before. We know that the, the enemy roars, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's here, he is influencing things. We have been given authority over him. We don't have to just lay down and take whatever he brings, but he's here and he's at work. And so when we see ALS, Or something else going on. We don't say, well, God chose. No, we say, this is, it's either a part of free will or it's a part of the enemy, but it's going to be eradicated. There you go. So, if you want more on that, go to last week's message. (laughs) It really begs the question So, if God's will isn't always done, what is my role? And does God need me?
1: So that exact question is something that I've actually been been working on these last few weeks. Um, Roughly three weeks ago, I had a really powerful experience. I had been seeking God's will um, for something in my life. And one night, you know that beautiful place when you're right about to fall asleep? You know that place? You're just kind of in that that like delicious, squishy, warm, (laughs) heavenly dreamland, and you're about to to go into really deep sleep. Um, I'm in that place, and all of a sudden, I was jarred awake by the audible voice of God. How cool, right? And God said to me, I need you to blank. And I'm not going to share the entire interaction because it was personal to me, but I did what you do whenever you get a word, whether it's an audible voice, which is pretty cool, or... Maybe it's someone who comes up to you after service and says, I've got a word for you. Whenever you get that word, you test it, right? You test it against the word of God. You test it against your own motives. You test it against, well, maybe this is something the devil is actually speaking to me. You test that. And as I tested it, I knew it was the voice of God, but the word that really stuck out in my mind was that word need. And it bothered me. Because I kept thinking to myself, how could God Almighty, the creator of the universe, need me to do anything? How could he possibly need me? Now, there's probably about a <coughs> 150 different ways he could have phrased that to me, but he chose that one. I need you to do blank. And as I've been allowing God to teach me in this, it's become very clear to me that while it's true, God is not served by human hands. That's in the scripture. And God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they're complete without me. They don't need me to do anything. They don't need my admiration. They don't need my praise. They don't need a little feather in their cap because they're insecure in who they are. No, they are perfectly cool in the almighty trinity right? They don't need me in that way. However it's very dangerous territory when we as Christians start thinking it doesn't matter what we do because eh, God will accomplish that some other way it doesn't matter if we obey if I'm walking down the street and God says pray for them if it doesn't matter if they'll get prayed for some other way What's my motive? If it doesn't matter if we fulfill our divine calling, ah, God will get that done some other way. What if it doesn't matter if we actually develop our spiritual gifts? Ah, There's other people. If it doesn't matter if God's will is done no matter what, it really lets us off the hook to be lounge chair Christians. Do you know what I mean by that? We kick up our feet... We watch the football game of Christianity but we never step foot in the game. <laughs> Psalm 115:16 says the heavens are the heavens of the Lord but the earth he has given to the sons of men. The earth he has given to the sons of men. Luke 10:19 tells us that we have been given authority over all the power of the enemy all of it. God has given us authority on earth. In this realm, we are here on earth with the Holy Spirit. And as Christians, it is our job, our J-O-B, to impact the earth, to impact the world around us. And we have an active role to play in what is manifested here on earth.
0: First Corinthians chapter three verse nine. If there was one verse that I'd ask you to memorize, if someone asks you what this message was about, you can say this verse. First Corinthians chapter three, verse nine. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. You are a co worker in God's service. Some of your translations will say co-laborer. Yeah. He wants us to work with him. What does that look like? I'm going to pop to the Old Testament, read an interesting story, 2nd Samuel chapter 7, verse 1 through 16. After the king, this is King David, was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest and all his enemies around. He said to Nathan, The prophet. Now, back in that time, God was speaking to everyone through the prophets. So, this is like David checking with God. He says, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan, who his full time job for decades has been to hear God speak on God's behalf, speak to God on people's behalf, he was the intermediary. We now have Jesus. But in the Old Testament, they didn't. So he replies right away, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. I thought that's pretty interesting. Nathan, whose job it was to speak on God's behalf, understood, hey, if David gets a passion, gets a desire, now remember, David didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling him like you and I do. So whose idea was this? It was David's. David had an idea. It says here, it says that it was in his mind. It says, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Now watch. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, go tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build the house Me a house to dwell in. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling, wherever I have moved with all the Israelites. Look at this, this is God. He says, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to the shepherd of my people? Why haven't you built me a house yet? Why have you not built me a house of cedar? So, God actually speaks through Nathan and says, you realize this isn't something I even asked for? I mean, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you will see, like, the temple is a really big deal. And this is where it was, and, and we read about the temple that was built, it was an amazing accomplishment. And David had an idea. And God says, you know, I never asked for that. But then in verse, let's see, 11, says the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you and when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. To me, it really, it really stands out to realize that Nathan, God's mouthpiece, was accustomed to God blessing man's ideas. So much so that he spoke out of turn, God had to come back, you know, this is kind of a special situation. Let me give you a little more detail on that. And then he does. It was David's idea, but then God supported that idea and said, you know what? You can prepare for it. You can do some things to get ready for it, but I actually want Solomon to execute it. And so David worked with God. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says this. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro Throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. As a Christian, I think I have been guilty of sitting around waiting, trying to figure out, okay, God, you give me the idea. I don't wanna do anything unless it's your idea. I remember, I remember the day in the, what used to be the youth room. Before this youth room was here, the youth room was, was what is now the 180. I remember, when I was five, I said I wanted to be a missionary. When I was seven, I still wanted to be a missionary. When I was 10, I still wanted to be a missionary. When I was 11, I said, told my parents I wanted to be a missionary, and I'd forgotten my Spanish. So they called somebody up and said, hey, we're flying them down. Put them with somebody in your church who doesn't speak English. And I started going every summer because I had a desire. And I remember sitting over in that sanctuary over there, going down to the front during one of the service, getting on my knees and saying, God, if you don't want me to be a missionary, you'd better stop me. (laughs) Because that's what I want to do. And the Bible does talk about how the Holy Spirit can give us desires. But we also see these scriptures that talk about how he longs to support us, how he wants to co-labor with us. Have we ever considered that God wasn't worried that I was gonna pick the wrong country to be a missionary in? He's like, hey, I am going to co-labor with you. If you're excited about Mexico, ah, Mexico it will be. If you want to do Africa, you know, someone invited us one time to go to Africa and consider a position. I went over there, spent three weeks. And it was too long of a story to tell right now, but I believe that God said, you know what? Hey, if you want this, you can have it. I'll bless it, I'll work through you. Hey, I want you to know a few things about the ministry you're considering and their their culture and, you know, all of this stuff. And hey, if you want to do that, you can do that. Ultimately, decided that wasn't a good fit. But it wasn't because God couldn't have blessed that. Not because God wouldn't have blessed that. Not because God wasn't behind that ministry. He is and was. It was an opportunity to co-labor with him. He looks around for those he may support. Let's read that one more time. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support. Everybody else just say, me. Right? That's what we want. We want to be who he sees has a heart that is completely his. See, he gave us free will because he wanted us to have authentic Relationship, And then when we have authentic relationship, what's birthed from that is co-laboring. When we have that relationship, then we can co-labor.
1: So in the instance of King David and Solomon, it took both people, two people, to first be open to the voice of God, to hear the voice of God, and then to obey the voice of God. They had free will. God did not force them to do anything. David could have easily said, well, it was my idea, I'm going to build it, right? Or Solomon could have easily said, well, I'm too young and inexperienced. I think I'm going to get somebody else to do this for me or eh, that sounds like too much work. That sounds too hard, God. But they had free will and they chose to obey God. God. We are called to co-labor with Christ. But when we are co-laboring with God, that does not mean that there's no free will, that there's no relationship. God is not looking for robot slaves. Of course, there are times when God might say, I need you too, and the only appropriate response is, sir, yes, sir, right? Ephesians 2.10 tells us, for we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has predestined good work for us to do for his kingdom. And then there are other times in the case of David where God likes our idea and he wants to support us. And that's part of co-laboring. I also like Acts 15, 28, where it says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We're working together with the Holy Spirit. But it's important to realize God did not call us to sit back in our armchair and watch the game unfold. He called us to lace up our cleats and to step into the game. Now, I had the privilege of being a Division I athlete. I played volleyball. And I didn't just call myself a volleyball player and watch a game of volleyball once a week and put a cute little volleyball bumper sticker on the back of my car and, and then step into a college, a Division I college game against Notre Dame, that would have gone really badly. And I probably would have gotten hurt. No, it took years and years of training. I had to train my body. I had to study my opponent. I had to practice. I had to perfect my form. And similarly, in order to be effective co-laborers with God, we, in order for us to impact the world around us, it takes some training, it takes some practice, and it takes some knowledge. I want to highlight that Sunday church is not the game. A lot of us think it is. But Sunday church is not the game. It is the training ground. We come here to be equipped to impact the world around us. Right? The game starts when we walk out the doors. And when we walk out of these doors and we see tragedy and we see injustice in the world, we shouldn't write that off as God working in mysterious ways or, boy, God... Don't know why God chose that path for them. When I see the devil ransacking my friend, or when I see the devil ransacking other believers or anyone else on our team, I'm not going to sugarcoat it anymore. And I don't want, I'm not going to sugarcoat it to you, and I don't want you to sugarcoat it to me because it's not okay. It's not okay. We shouldn't feel okay. We shouldn't try to make ourselves feel better about tragedy and injustice and the devil at work in the world around us. It is evidence that we have work to do as Christians, though. So when we see that injustice and tragedy, that should motivate us to press in harder, to train harder, to be more desperate for breakthrough, desperate for the power of the Holy Spirit be desperate to be more effective co-laborers so we can see God's will manifested here and in the world around us. It should give us a passion for change.
0: Time's up. But before we close, 2 Peter 3.9 nine. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It is clear what God's will is. He desires that everyone come to repentance. So we don't want to leave today without giving everyone here the opportunity to be Assured that they have come to repentance. What does that mean? The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10 that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the sin that separates you from God. See, that relationship we were built for that free will he gave us so that that relationship would have meaning. When we choose sin, we can no longer commune with his holy. He is holy. Holiness is like oil and water with sin. It doesn't mix. And as long as we are still steeped in sin, as much as he desires relationship with us, it doesn't mix. It doesn't mix but he says i have paid the price i desire that you come to repentance jesus his blood washing away that sin that's what it was for so if you're here and you know that you've been forgiven that you're right with god that you have have that repentance raise your hand definitely most of us if you are here today And with every eye closed for a moment, if you're here today and you say, I want to know. I see that it's God's will that I repent, but I have an opportunity to choose. The first step of co-laboring with him is accepting that forgiveness. If that's you, if you want to know for sure, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now. Just one, two, three, pick it up. And we're going to pray together. Is there anyone here? I see one. All right. If there's anybody else, I see two. Okay. Here's what we're going to do I want everyone, let's pray together. Repeat after me. Say, Dear God, I believe in you that you created the world desiring to have a relationship with me. I believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again so that my sin could be forgiven. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.